Chapter Twenty One of Grace Harlowe's Second Year at Overton College by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One: A Gift to Semper Fidelis. When the news was whispered about through Overton College that the attractive young woman who was frequently seen in company with Grace Harlowe and her friends was the daughter of Guido Savelli, the renowned virtuoso, it created a wide ripple of excitement among the four classes. Curious juniors and dignified seniors grew interested, and Mabel Ashe and Frances Marlton, who were Eleanor's sworn cavaliers, were besieged with requests for introductions. Far from being spoiled by so much adulation, Eleanor laughingly attributed it to her father's genius, and flouted the idea that her own delightful personality had made her a reigning favorite during her stay in Overton. It took Grace some time to recover from the surprise occasioned by Eleanor's unexpected arrival. During the month in which she had received no letter from Eleanor, Guido Savelli had reconsidered his decision not to appear in America, and instead of cancelling his contract, had sailed at the eleventh hour to fulfil it, taking Eleanor with him. "'You arrived just in time for our show!' exclaimed Grace gleefully to Eleanor. The two girls sat opposite each other at the library table in the living room at Wayne Hall, making up the programme for the vaudeville performance which was to be held in the music hall on the following Friday evening. "'Oh, Eleanor, don't you think you can go home with me for Easter? Never mind if Heart Seas is closed. You can have just as much fun at our house.' "'We have only one more week here, you know, and your father's concert tour doesn't end for another month,' pleaded Grace. "'I think I can arrange it,' reflected Eleanor. "'Tis only that father misses me so. In some way it is like an overgrown child. All great musicians are like that, I believe.' "'It is a pity to take you away from him,' admitted Grace, "'but we would like having you with us. Besides, Tom Gray is going to bring Donald Earl to Oakdale with him for the Easter. Donald will be disappointed if he doesn't see you, Eleanor. I'd like to see him, too, returned Eleanor frankly. He's one of the nicest young men I know. Father is coming down here for our show unless something unforeseen happens. I shall coax him to play. I imagine he will be willing. He will play if you ask him, Grace. I wish we might feature him on the bulletin board, reflected Grace with a met. I wish we might feature him on the bulletin board, reflected Grace, with a managerial eye to business, but he wouldn't like that. We could have him for a surprise, though. I'll tell you what I'll do, volunteered Eleanor. I'll telephone his hotel in New York and ask him. If he says yes, we can go ahead and count on him to furnish Overton with a surprise. Oh, Eleanor, could you? Would you do it? asked Grace, a note of excitement in her voice. I'll telephone at once, nodded Eleanor, rising. Suppose we go over to the terrain to do it. Within the next hour, Eleanor and Grace had talked with Guido Savelli. It had taken very little coaxing to secure his promise to play at Overton on Friday night, as he gave his last performance in New York on Thursday evening, and was free until the following Monday, when he would appear in Boston. "'It seems almost providential, doesn't it?' asked Eleanor, as she hung up the receiver. "'He could not have come at any other time.' "'I'm so happy over it I could just hurrah,' declared Grace jubilantly. "'I knew Father would not refuse us,' smiled Eleanor. Now hadn't we better hurry home and make up the rest of the programme? By eight o'clock Friday evening every available foot of space in Music Hall was crowded with Overton students. The front rows of the hall had been reserved for the faculty, who were quite in sympathy with the idea of the new club. 
In order to obtain permission to use this hall, Grace had gone to the dean with the story of the organization of Semper Fidelis and its purpose. The dean had sympathized heartily with the movement, and had at once laid the matter before the president of the college, who willingly gave the desired permission. As the Semper Fidelis Club was composed entirely of sophomores, twelve young women of the sophomore class had been detailed as ushers and ticket-takers. The majority of the club members were down on the program, therefore these duties had been turned over to their classmates. Grace, besides appearing in the Spanish dance with Miriam, had taken upon herself the duties of stage manager. The two smallest sophomores in the class, dressed as pages, had been chosen to place the posters announcing the various numbers on the standards at each side of the stage. These posters had been designed and painted by Beatrice Alden and Frances Marlton, who, with Mabel Ashe, Constance Fuller, and several other public-spirited seniors, had generously offered their services. As both Beatrice and Frances possessed considerable skill with the brush, they turned out extremely decorative posters, which were afterwards sold to various admiring students for souvenirs of the club's first entertainment. "'I'm so tired,' declared Grace to Eleanor as they stood at one side of the stage with the glee club, composed of juniors and seniors, arranged themselves preparatory to filling on the stage. "'Everything seems to be going beautifully, though. Not a single performer has disappointed us. How pretty the glee club girls look to-night!' "'Lovely,' agreed Eleanor. "'The audience is out as its best bib and tucker, too. Nearly every girl in the house is in evening dress.' "'Consider the occasion,' laughed Grace. Our show would not have amounted to much if it had not been for you and your distinguished father. Anne could not have recited Enoch Arden without your accompaniment, and the crown and glory of having the great Savelli play would have been missing. Reminds me of our concert, Eleanor, she added softly. Eleanor's blue eyes met Grace's grey ones with ineffable tenderness. The concert that brought me my father, she murmured. It seems ages since that night, Grace. Can't realize that I have ever been away from father. It does seem a long time since our senior year in high school, agreed Grace musingly. Good gracious, Eleanor, the Glee Club are waiting for the signal to go on while we stand here reminiscing. Grace hurried to the wing where one of the pages stood patiently, holding the Glee Club poster, and signaled to the page on the opposite side. An instant later the singers had filed on the stage for their opening song. As the show progressed, the audience became more enthusiastic and clamoured loudly for encores. Alfreda's imitations provoked continuous laughter, and dainty Arlene Thayer looked not more than seven years old, was a delightful success from her first babyish lisp. Her song of the goblin man who stole little children to work for him in his underground cellar, with its catchy chorus of run away, you little children, was immediately adopted by Overton, and when later it was noised about that Ruth had written the words, while Arlene had composed the music, both girls were later rushed by the dramatic club and made members an honour to which assuming Ruth had some difficulty in becoming accustomed. Anne's Enoch Arden to Eleanor's piano accompaniment met with an ovation. Guido Savelli had been purposely placed last on the programme. No one will care for anything else after he plays. The audience will have the memory of his music to take away with them, Grace had said wisely, knowing the musician's horror of being lionized. Grace had confided the secret to no one except Miriam, Anne, Mabel Ashe, and Elfreda, who, in the company with her and Eleanor, had met him at the train, and dined with him at the terrain. It had been arranged that at half-past nine o'clock Anne and Elfreda should go for him and escort him to music hall. 
At precisely ten minutes past ten o'clock he was escorted through the side entrance to the hall by his two smiling guides and into the little room just off the stage that did duty for a green room. Eleanor's quick exclamation of, "'You have plenty of time, father. There are two more numbers before you,' caused the various performers to open their eyes, and when Eleanor turned to those in the room, saying sweetly, "'Girls, this is my father. He's going to play for us,' astonishment looked out from every face. In order that the surprise might be complete, Grace had purposely withheld until the last moment the posters bearing Guido Savelli's name. When the two pages placed them up on their respective standards, a positive sigh of astonishment went up from the audience that changed to vociferous applause as Eleanor appeared and took her place at the piano. A second later the great Savelli walked on the stage, violin in hand. Eleanor, having frequently accompanied him on the piano in private, had begged to be allowed for once to accompany him in public. As the delighted audience listened to the music of the man whose playing had won for him the homage of two continents, they realized that they had been granted an unusual privilege. How did he happen to stray into Overton? I suppose great artists like him never condescended to play outside of the large cities, were the whispered comments. One stately old gentleman in particular, who had been the guest of the president at dinner, and who sat beside him during the performance, grew enthusiastically curious, asking all sorts of questions. Who had planned and managed the entertainment? What was the object of the Semper Fidelis Club? How long had it been in existence? Who had been on familiar enough terms with Savelli to induce him to play at the show? The president answered his questions with becoming patience, promising to introduce him to Grace Harlowe and Arlene Thayer, who, he stated, had been responsible for the organization of the club. Later, the curious old gentleman, who was presented to Grace and Arline, who answered his flow of inquiries so courteously and with such apparent good will that he left the hall, smiling to himself as though he had gained possession of some wonderful bit of information. The vaudeville show netted the Semper Fidelis Club two hundred dollars, which Arline deposited in the bank the following morning. Every little bit helps, chuckled Arline as she opened the bank book and pointed to the new entry. She and Grace were on their way from the bank. I should say it did, returned Grace warmly. I only wish we could make money as easily and pleasantly as we made that two hundred dollars. It was a lot of fun, wasn't it? declared Arline happily. When we come back next fall as juniors, we can give another show and add to our fund. We won't have time this year. We are all going home next week, and after Easter it will be too late in the year to bother with entertainments. We might give a carnival in the gymnasium next fall, suggested Grace. We had a bazaar at home and made over five hundred dollars. If we gave it early in the fall, we would have as much as a thousand dollars on hand to lend where it was needed. I imagine we can find plenty of places for it. We can begin thinking about it through the summer, planned Arline. That night, when Grace reached Wayne Hall, she found a letter bearing her address in the bulletin board at the foot of the stairs. After glancing curiously at the superscription, Grace tore it open and read, To Miss Grace Harlow, Wayne Hall, Overton. Dear Miss Harlow, I am enclosing a cheque made payable to you, which I should like you to accept in behalf of the Semper Fidelis Club. I am greatly interested in your association, and wish to say that at this time each year, as long as the club exists, I pledge myself to contribute the same amount of money. Trusting that the club will continue to thrive and prosper, yours very truly, Thomas Redfield. Grace laid down the letter and stared at the cheque with incredulous eyes. It was for one thousand dollars. It took but an instant to dart down the hall to Miriam's room, where Anne had just gone to borrow Miriam's thesaurus. 
"'Look, look!' cried Grace, holding the check before Anne's astonished eyes. Miriam rose from her chair and peered over Anne's shoulder. Three cheers for Mr. Redfield!' she exclaimed. Three cheers for the fairy godfather of Semper Fidelis! End of chapter 21 Recording by Ashley Jane